three years of this stuff, but they outdid themselves this weekend. Woo. Tonight. It's now effectively a riot. What's the bottom line you want the American people to know? There was a very sophisticated multi part plan overseen by Donald Trump. You can't ever accept when they steal and rig and rob. To attempt to stay in power. All right, all right, all right. It's like pornography for the liberals. This is, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And if they're going to go overboard with a fake news story, like they do on this, like they do on Trump, right? How many impeachments, how many investigations, how many Mueller this, uh, uh, Vindman, all that stuff. Well, I'm going to go overboard a little bit with a story, a real story. I call it the murder of Ashley Babbitt, all right? Now, if you're watching on Friday, you may have uh, seen that I went through the, the lawsuit that's been filed by uh, the estate of Ashley Babbitt. Her husband, Aaron, filed in federal court. And I'm going to do it again, and we're going to go into a little bit more detail because this is important. So one of the, way the, one of the ways the liberals set the agenda, they're not afraid of relentlessly repeating themselves, repeating themselves, repeating themselves the same fake news junk. I'm like slightly self-conscious rehashing this from Friday, but it's important. And everybody should know it, that this woman should be alive right now, okay? So... Let's do it. Um, she was shot by Lieutenant Michael Byrd, right, of the Capitol Hill Police. He's actually Captain Byrd now. Yeah, I do believe, that's my opinion, that this was a totally unjustified killing. It's also my opinion that, well, uh, this story would have been covered differently, say, well, what's going on here? We have a black police officer and a white female victim. I have a feeling that has had an impact on the almost zero visibility about this case, about what went wrong here, about his clear, clear misconduct, malpractice, arguably criminal behavior, arguably. All right, so what do I know? Ashley Babbitt was at the Ellipse on January 6th. She went there to see the president speak. I also know this, and it's in the lawsuit. I know it from my own study, and I know it from looking at this lawsuit, that she walked peacefully and patriotically, yes, to the Capitol. Now, here are some things I did not know, and it's in the lawsuit. The, defend, the, uh, the plaintiffs allege that Ashley was actually trailed by two police officers. They watched her go in. Two undercover Metropolitan Department officers followed close behind Ashley as she climbed the stairs to the West Terrace, made no attempt to stop her. Now, she did not break in. She did not break any windows. Next, please. It reads as uh, Ashley entered the Capitol on the Senate side after others had already done so. And then she follows law enforcement's direction. A Capitol Hill police officer tells her uh, to a female Capitol officer, directed her to walk to the south side, the house side, and she did that. And here she is walking peacefully, patriotically, one might even say, yeah, like a tourist, through the, uh, through the rotunda there, through the, uh, well, one of those rooms. And here she is pleading with the officers at one point to send in more help. Let's see here, yeah. Now they have looked at this video and they determine that she's probably saying, you need to bring in more help, all right? Now, there's another big uh, piece of information in this lawsuit. 
Let's go to the next frame, please. Those three officers, uh, Kyle Yetter, Timothy Lively, and Christopher Lanciano, according to this lawsuit, they were ordered to stay in that position. That's right outside the House chamber, everybody, okay? They're ordered to stay there. They don't. For some still mysterious unknown reason that at least one of them regrets, they walk away. We want you to go home. I'm recording, and there's so many people. It's just, they're gonna push their way up here. Uh, bro, I seen people out there get hurt. I don't wanna hurt. I just make a, we will make a path down. Now it's loud and it's chaotic, but nobody's hurting those officers. And here they go. Why are they making no effort to stop them? Why are they just standing against the wall? What's happening there? Isn't that crazy? And there they are. They're just witnesses now, just hanging around. And that's Ashley Babbitt on the right. She's not, they're not trying to arrest her, are they? They're just standing there, it's very strange. Um, one of the officers later told investigators the following, this is in the lawsuit, according to the documentation, he says, uh, he told them, I grapple with this, you know, if I should have stayed, stayed in position, like he was apparently ordered to do so. But no, they left. And when they see Michael Byrd's gun, you're about to see them duck. They're ducking because they see a weapon. See this? That's the, their initial reaction after they see the gun. Again, they're standing right next to Ashley Babbitt. I mean, they could, they could move everybody out of the way. They could warn people. What's happening here? Next, please. In the next sequence, she's going to get shot. Okay, now was she trying to jump through, climb through? Was she pushed up there, going through that window? We don't know, but you did see the police officers there seconds ago. They could have stopped her. Did they encourage her? What's going on? We don't know. And you see, more cops have arrived. They're in the heavy, heavy equipment, the armor, like the SWAT team. Now we heard from them in this, uh, in the investigation. One of them actually said that they were as mystified as we are about why those officers just left. This individual, Officer Smith, uh, told investigators, according to this lawsuit, uh, the CERT leader put it bluntly to investigators, I was thinking, why? Why the F did they leave? Those three officers who seemed to take a coffee break in the middle of everything. All right, now, within a minute of this all going down, Officer Byrd, or Lieutenant Byrd, now captain, he's been promoted, um, makes a radio call, and he's panicky, and he's not being truthful. Listen. We got shots fired in the lobby. We got shots fired in the lobby of the house chamber. Shots are being fired at us, and we're prepared to fire back at them. We have guns drawn. Don't leave that in. Don't leave that in. 
All right. One minute later, he's saying that there were shots fired. He's the only one who fired a shot. He's trying to say that they're returning fire, but there was no incoming fire. We saw the whole thing. Why did he say that? Is he deliberately misleading? Because that's misleading. That's false. He's the only one who fired. It's almost like he's getting permission to fire. That's strange. There's so much to answer for here, isn't there? Next. It was later, I, you know, found out that the uh, subject did not have a weapon, but there was no way to know that at that time. And I could not fully see her hands or what was in the backpack or what the intentions of. So he was guessing. Sorry, but according to the law, according to the rules, a police officer can't fire a weapon if he doesn't see a weapon, if he doesn't know there's an imminent threat of death. It says it out loud in the Capitol Hill Police Handbook and, a, well, a thousand others. Firearms may be withdrawn from their holsters only when officers are preparing for its expected, prudent, and lawful discharge to protect themselves or others from imminent death or serious physical injury. Imminent death. Ashley Babbitt, 135 pounds, no weapon, 15 feet away from Officer Byrd, imminent death. And he wasn't guarding uh, 435 members of the House. They had all left. They had all basically left. The room was empty. She should not have been shot. And this stuff we're talking about, this is news. This is news, and we're the only ones talking about it. All weekend long, if you were watching, it was all... Donald Trump, a threat to democracy. Donald Trump, uh, you know, Joe Biden's going to make it the issue of the campaign. <sighs> now, maybe you heard this before also. President Trump, what was he doing on January 6th? The committee has firsthand testimony now that he was sitting in the dining room next to the Oval Office watching the attack on television. Donald Trump sat there riveted uh, more like a viewer than a president by what he was witnessing on TV. Other witnesses confirmed that President Trump was in the dining room with the TV on for more than two and a half hours. The committee recreated the 187 minutes of the attack blow by blow, saying Mr. Trump watched it unfold on TV and never called a single law enforcement agency. <laughs> As if he's a, well, I'll get to what's on TV, what was actually on TV that day. It's an important point that nobody but me is pointing out, <laughs> okay? All right, so I told you how the fake news had no news. George Stephanopoulos and that crew, they promised their viewers that they had new information about January 6th. I was watching their signature Sunday show. Watch. This morning, we have exclusive new reporting on what Trump was doing at the White House on January 6th as the riders surged through the Capitol. Chief Washington correspondent John Carl starts us off. Good morning, John. Good morning, George. All right, you heard that. Exclusive new information. Exclusive and new. This is fake news, everybody. Uh, let's see the exclusive and new information. Donald Trump's closest advisors in the White House have provided Jack Smith's team with an extraordinarily detailed description of what Trump was doing and what he was refusing to do as the U.S. Capitol came under attack. These are not Trump's critics. These are some of his most trusted aides. And according to sources familiar with the investigation, some of the most vivid and damning descriptions have come from Trump's longtime employee and current advisor, Dan Scavino. All right. At this point, when I'm watching, I know, oh, gosh, this is fake news. They actually don't have anything new. They have nothing new, but they're lying to their viewers saying that it's new. Uh, let's continue. 
Dan Scavino has known Donald Trump since he was 15 years old. Worked for him for more than three decades, starting as his golf caddy. Nobody inside the White House, outside of family, had a closer relationship with him. The great Dan Scavino, most powerful man in politics. So we're about uh, three minutes in. They've said good morning to each other three times. They keep talking about the new dramatic information they have. And there is none, right? I know Dan Scavino is an important aide to President Trump. Where's the news? When they keep putting it off like this, you know they don't have any news. Uh, I'm kind of proud of myself. Everybody's waiting for the news. I knew there was none. Keep going. He described Trump sitting in his small dining room next to the Oval Office, his arms folded, staring at the television, watching live coverage of the attack on Fox News. Trump was angry, Scavino told investigators, according to the sources, saying the election had been stolen from him and that his supporters were, quote, angry on his behalf. Donald Trump was watching TV. That's what Dan Scavino provided. That we heard that he was watching TV two years ago. The important thing, though, is, again, what was on television and what wasn't on television on January 6th. Uh, They really think we're stupid um, and lazy, and a lot of us are. I know what was on TV on January 6th. They're trying to confuse everybody else. Stay with me right after the break. So what was on TV on January 6th? Cops getting slaughtered. I hate that that happened, although it didn't really happen. We talked about Ashley Babbitt. There were some injuries, but this was what was on television on January 6th. This is the United States of America, and we're watching protesters try to undermine the course of an election, a constitutional process through force by storming the United States Capitol. Look at that. That is outside. Jake, I'm sorry to interrupt, but look at those pictures. Have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, these these are protesters outside on the steps of the Capitol. They're physically in there. Well, it's a fitting end to an era that has been characterized by lawlessness. Wow. They really wanted to a bunch of people standing around. You know, after Black Lives Matter summer, this didn't seem to be all that to me. And uh, we try this. I think it's very effective. Let's watch the same sequence with the sound off. Jake Dapper and Dana Bash not saying stuff. It looks like a, uh, a football game, maybe. Tailgating. Uh, I don't know. I have, uh, I'm not traumatized by this. All right, but wait a second. This isn't all the footage, of course. Let's find another. Okay, let's go to January 6, 2020. This is in the afternoon. Okay, ready? Hit it. This is basically taking over, storming the Capitol in in it's anarchy. It really is anarchy. And the president has encouraged this time and time again, and they are stopping the constitutional peaceful transfer of power. One more time, and let's mute it. (laughs) You see what I mean? Hey, and, you know, it's not just me spinning here things, right? Because I'm MAGA and, uh, you know, I I don't think January 6th was all that. But even the left, even the left, they have to acknowledge that what was on TV on January 6th, what President Trump was seeing, if he was actually watching TV and they haven't totally established that, was, uh, well, not all that. I think it's really important to remember 
it didn't look as bad on TV as it actually was. And that's not the fault of any television network or any producer or anything. It's just most of the live shots were from far away. We didn't see inside the Capitol the horrible violence, the attacks against police. There were only a few of those videos that came out during the day. It took several days to reckon with just how violent this was, and then several weeks to learn about the security failures and all the rest. Thank you, CNN. I totally agree. So President Trump had this TV on in the background. What was he supposed to do, call in the B-52s? No, no, he wasn't. The January 6th report, they actually don't cite CNN. They cite a report on Fox News. Uh, at 2.38 p.m., Fox News was showing video of the chaos and attack with tear gas filling the air in the Capitol Rotunda. And a newscaster reported, this is a very dangerous situation. Well, 2.38, Fox News. Uh, we found that, okay? They said, what? Tear gas filling the Capitol? Let's just see what 2.38 on January 6th on Fox News looked like. Well, first of all, uh, we went from a peaceful protest, and this is a very dangerous situation right now, um, that there are, I'm being told, these protesters on the inside are around both chambers, and there is now tear gas inside the Capitol Rotunda. In fact, members oh. locked in the House are being instructed to put on masks. Okay, so you see the images, though. And you see how they're trying to really hype it, hype it, hype it. And there, there's stuff going on inside, but it wasn't visible on television. CNN told us that that didn't become apparent for weeks, weeks. So what was President Trump actually supposed to do? You know, presidential decision-making, I actually read a book about it a long time ago in junior high school. It's written by a Harvard professor. I read it for social studies. Presidential decision-making by Roger Porter. Harvard professor, and guess what? The president is not some guy, is not a security guard looking at the TV, picking up the phone and saying, uh, what's going on over there? It doesn't work that way. And if it were so dire on Capitol Hill, why didn't Vice President Pence call him? Why didn't the Secretary of Defense call him? Why didn't General Milley call him, right? They present options to the president. It's not the other way around. And they're trying to fool everybody on this one. And for a lot of folks, rhinos, liberals, they've gotten away with it. But the truth is going to set us all free. All right, now this. I call her the first lady of racism. Oh, boy. Uh, she doesn't have all that much to do. So she shows up on podcasts and specials and uh, travels the world. Uh, I'm told she's kind of bored and she may run for president. Uh, but she let this loose on some health guru's podcast. Mm. This is the thing about being another. Mm -hmm. You learn how to be excellent all the time mm -hmm. because you can't be less than. Mm -hmm. Other people can. Other people can be indicted a bunch of times and still run for, for office. Mm -hmm. Black man can't, but it's still not fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> A wow. Uh, you know, this country made her first lady, her husband, two terms, but 
still moaning about racism, all the racism out there. She's obviously alluding to President Trump and the indictments, but a black man can't be indicted and run for anything. That's what she said. I knew that was wrong the moment I heard it. I just knew it intuitively. And in about 40 seconds or so, I found 17 examples of various black men who've been indicted and were successfully able to run for office. Who remembers the crack-smoking mayor of Washington, D.C.? Uh, Marion Barry, there he is, uh, smoking crack in 1990. And here he is getting reelected to the mayor's job, even though he was indicted for possession of cocaine uh, and he was elected to the city council, became mayor again. And uh, how about that one? Let's see. There's another one. Alcee Hastings. Indicted for bribery in 1981. Elected congressman in 1992. Uh, he was impeached as a judge in the late 90s. Look, there is a future for, I mean, everybody, no matter what your color is, right? Every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past, something like that. Who's ever heard of Ron Reynolds? Um, I have not, but he's from Texas. He was indicted for solicitation in 2015. The next year, elected to Congress. Yusuf Salam. Uh, one of the Central Park Five indicted for rape and assault in 89, and now he's a, a city councilman. Uh, and one more. Anybody know who Kevin Harris is? Uh, indicted for federal firearms. It happens all the time, all right? You know, this country is a lot more tolerant than you think, Michelle. And uh, it really doesn't matter what your color is as much as you have benefited from your color. I'll be right back. The new year is here and I have an important message for you. Hey, it's Rob Carson. Why don't you give yourself a gift for the new year? The new streaming service, Newsmax Plus. Move over, woke Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu. Just start Newsmax Plus. Get Newsmax best shows with Rob Schmidt, Eric Bolling, Greta Von Susteren, Greg Kelly, and more. Even actor John Voight has a special series on there. Plus lots of movies, documentaries, history, comedy. Newsmax Plus just started and more than 180,000 people have signed up. Watch Newsmax Plus on your home TV or phone app. And Newsmax Plus is the only streamer to give you all of Donald Trump's rallies. So get Newsmax Plus now. It's free to start. Just go to Newsmax Plus. That's NewsmaxPLUS.com. Millions are switching to Newsmax. Be one today. On the left, that's Aaron Babbitt, uh, a United States Marine former, along with his wife, his late wife, Ashley Babbitt. You know about Ashley, right? She was there on January 6th. She traveled alone. She wanted to see the president. She wanted to see that speech. After the speech, she peacefully and patriotically walked over to the Capitol. We have photographic proof of that. We also have proof that she was peaceful throughout the day, that she walked into the Capitol. She didn't break her, her way into it or anything like that that she was directed by law enforcement to go from one side of the Capitol to the other. She did that. And then we saw a complete breakdown of professionalism, of morality perhaps, on the part of the police. Officers just walking away inexplicably, standing right next to her, allowing her to move to a position of danger. And then, well, Michael Byrd, of course, the lieutenant on the Capitol Hill Police, who fired the fatal shot, the single shot, and uh, he's been promoted. He's actually been promoted. Well, I am, the whole thing is outrageous. 
I am pleased that there is a lawsuit that has been filed on behalf of the estate of Ashley Babbitt against the United States of America. Uh, it is 32 pages long, and it is dynamite. We have learned a lot of new information, and we are honored once again to host Aaron Babbitt on this show. Aaron, welcome. Um, how you doing, and how does it feel to have this filed after three years? Bittersweet. Very, very bittersweet. I mean, I, I wish it never got to this point for a multitude of reasons. I mean, I wish, obviously, Ashley was sitting next to me right now. Um, and I also wish that there was a effective investigation that was done, you know, prior to this even have to, having to come to fruition. But I'm happy that we have done the most comprehensive, in-depth investigation into what happened to my wife. I'm sad that the government didn't do it. They sure didn't do it. They brushed it under the rug. And, you know, before you got to the point um, of a lawsuit, did you get any kind of explanation from them? Uh, any kind of, well, look, we're really sorry about this, but it was a bad day. Did they, or was it just what we saw in public records that, yes, he was authorized to do this and, uh, you know, we stand by him? Public record. Definitely public record. That was it. I got, I got nothing of substance. Well, uh, this, there's a lot of substance in this. And a shooting like that is not a good shooting. You can talk to anybody in law enforcement, they'll tell you that. Um, and we have this incredible moment, one minute after Michael Byrd shoots your wife, uh, he gets on the radio in a rather panicked fashion and says the following. A lot of this is misleading and confusing, or maybe not so confusing. Let's take a look, Aaron. We got shots fired in the lobby. We got shots fired in the lobby of the house chamber. Shots are being fired at us, and we're uh, prepared to fire back at them. We have guns drawn. Don't leave that in. Don't leave that in. Your team determined that that was one minute after he shot your wife, Ashley. One minute after. He says, we've got shots fired, and there are shots being fired at us. He's lying. He's covering up. What do you make of that? Yeah, it was within one minute. I don't think we have the exact seconds down, maybe like 35 seconds. But um, it's uh, he, he's panicked. He's panicked because he knew what he did. Um, and I think he also had knowledge that there's no CCTV footage in that area. So he wasn't expecting a bunch of cell phones to be recording him. Um, and recording that, and cameras recording that whole incident. Um, it's it's disgusting. It's sad. But um, I've been holding on that for a long time. I've known that for a while. Um, a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Joe Hanneman with the Epic Times actually brought that to our attention. So I got to give him the credit for that. It's it's a radio transmission that is absolutely. I mean, it's a game changer, completely and totally. It shows cognizance of guilt and that thing with the CCCTV. Let's hear from um, uh, Lieutenant Michael Byrd about why he fired at Ashley. When you fired, wh what could you see? Where were you aiming? You're taught to aim for center mass. Uh, the subject was sideways, and I could not see her full motion of her hands or anything. Um, so... I guess her movement, you know, caused 
the uh, discharge to to fall where it did. And what did you think this individual was doing at that at that moment? She was posing a threat. You know, the fake news went bananas, and uh, they were very, very sympathetic. But I think that interview, he revealed a lot of information that is very useful for your side. And what he said right there is actually kind of incriminating, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. But he, he's using, I mean, everybody likes to use pronouns nowadays. He's using her and she. He admitted in that same interview, he didn't even know he had shot a female until later on that night. So he, he he admitted he didn't know he shot a female. He admitted he had never seen her hands. He admitted he didn't know it was in the backpack, but her hands were most visible. But he's talking about a backpack. He, it, this whole interview was trash, Greg. Like, uh, I mean, thank God for it, I guess. But I don't, I don't know who put him out there. Well, he's still working for the Capitol Police. There was a lot of negligence, it looks like, you allege, and it seems right there in front of our face, not only from him, but the officers who walked away and some serious training issues. This guy also had a problem, kind of itchy trigger finger out there. Uh, I understand they have 60 days to respond. Any indication, any, has anything happened since you filed this? No. No, nothing. No, I've not heard anything. So, yeah, that is the, to, to my knowledge, it's, they have 60 days to respond. Is there anything people can do who want to help? I guess, uh, you know, maybe maybe this, this, this is underway. Is there anything that people can do if they want to get involved? Uh, you've got the best lawyers in the country, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, what can we do, if anything? Yeah, so now, you know, by the grace of God, I am, I am blessed to have Judicial Watch in my corner. So there's no more, go, you know, gifts and goes and GoFundMes. Is, I can just tell you to please donate to uh, judicialwatch.org. Um, it's not just me that they're fighting for. They, they, they're fighting for a lot of people in this country and trying to keep things right in this nation. So judicialwatch.org, uh, you know. Drop a dollar, drop five dollars, drop whatever you can. I mean, they're, they're, they're keeping everything straight around here. Judicialwatch.org, they are fantastic, Tom Fitton and the rest. And I understand President Trump has not, well, we've seen him talk about this publicly numerous times, and he certainly hasn't forgotten about you personally? No, no. I, I, I've, I've spoken with him multiple times. He, he, he's, he's been very good to me. Um, you know, he, he checks in. Um, and I, I appreciate that a lot of them for that. Um, you know, Ashley went there to see him. We all love him. Um, he is going to be in history. He will end up being our greatest president ever. I, I truly do believe that. And come 2024, 25, um, we get him back in office, but, um, he's, he's a great man. I, I cannot give him, him enough accolades. Well, Aaron, it's a privilege to talk to you once again, and uh, this is uh, this is strong. This is good. Three years was worth the wait. You know, I'm sorry. I mean, I just uh, you guys. Well, let's stay in touch, and let's see where this we goes. Will, I think we just, will stay in touch, Greg. We will stay in touch, Greg. But I need to once again to all your listeners and you know your viewers. You've been on this from day one, and you you have been the one that has not backed down, and a lot of people have fell off. So. All my gratitude once again. Thank you, sir. It's been a privilege, quite frankly. All right. Justice is coming. Thank you, sir. We'll be back. Appreciate you.
It is my profound honor to be the first president in history to attend the March for Life. We're here for a very simple reason, to defend the right of every child, born and unborn, to fulfill their God-given potential. That was an amazing moment. You know, most presidents, pro-life presidents, so-called, would literally phone in to the big rally there for life. How about that? Donald Trump, of all people, he's the one who made Roe v. Wade go away. Uh, these judges, they wouldn't have taken to the court if it wasn't for President Trump, especially Amy Coney Barrett. You know what a feat it was getting her there? So take a look at this. This is in 2018, I believe. Uh, three women talking to President Trump about, hey, why don't we stop funding for uh, Planned Parenthood, federal funding for Planned Parenthood. That doesn't sound like such a great idea, does it? This is Penny Young Nance. She is the CEO and president of the Concerned Women for America. Uh, guess what? They just endorsed President Trump. And one of their key issues at Concerned Women is the sanctity of human life. Penny Young Nance, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? And uh, I take it it wasn't a close call or, or was it? Not at all, Greg. I so I'm so excited to personally endorse President Trump, and uh, you couldn't see it in the shot, but I stood just over his shoulder there on that very cold, windy January day at the March for Life. And you're right; he was the first president being that was willing just to walk down the street and join hundreds of thousands of pro-life advocates as we stood there uh, and spoke for the least of these. And of course, you already mentioned that the overturn of Roe would have never happened without his three justices. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh, I think, was the, to me, was the hardest one, the, the dogfight. And without Judge Kavanaugh's confirmation, we would have never gotten uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who's the first uh, woman with children, school-age children, to ever sit on the bench. And, of course, she voted for the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And so add to that his strong stand for Israel. I actually was just so honored to be in Jerusalem when we moved our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, the eternal capital of Israel. President Trump was the first president in 22 years to follow through on his promise to move the embassy, and he did it. And then add to that, you saw the picture there uh, where I'm standing with him and was the day that I gave President Trump a CWA's, um, the presidential pledge to American women, saying that he would stand with women, the unique dignity of women in every area of policy and law, including women's sports. And so it was just, for me, a, an easy choice. And I'm just so grateful to be here today just to talk about my support for the president. Can I ask you about abortion? It's kind of for a lot of folks, they, they get uncomfortable talking about it. And even President Trump a few months ago, I heard him say publicly that we have to get better talking about it. You know, it makes some people uh, crazy. Arguably, it was uh, an issue that did not work in the favor of Republicans in, in 2022. You've heard him say that, I'm sure. What do you think the answer is? What is the best approach? We're facing a national election. Yeah. Um, how was this handled? Well, and I, I told this to the president. You know, 
I don't know why that Republican candidates, when they're faced with this issue, run and hide. The answer when they're called an extremist is to point out that the other side's position on abortion is that it should be legal anytime, any reason, anywhere, any number, up until birth, all paid for by the taxpayer. They are the extremists on the issue. And now we have states because of the president's uh, justices that he appointed. We can go on a state-by-state basis and make the argument. And we've seen uh, over half of the states that have come our way on the issue and set limits. But that's not enough. We're doing more to care for women and to help them to choose life. So, you know, I think it's really, uh, and he's right, we have to educate our um, our candidates to do a better job, to not run and hide, because that is what they're told um, often to do by, you know, the consultant class. But that is absolutely the wrong answer. The answer is to hit it head on and to stand firm on your position. Life is a winning issue. The president proved that, and I believe he'll prove it again. You can go to concernedwomen.org for more information, concernedwomen.org. Penny Young Nance, very quickly, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got to this this moment and, and running Concerned Women for America? Have you always had these uh, stances or did you evolve? Uh, a little bit about you, if you don't mind. Greg, that is so nice for you to ask. I am a preacher's kid from Appalachia. And I went to Liberty University on scholarship and um, got a great education. I graduated and I went to work on Capitol Hill. And I, in college, became pro-life because I saw the victims' pictures. You know, on our website is a video that we call So You Think You're Pro-Choice that really shows the truth, the human rights abuse that is abortion. And so once I actually saw that and understood what happened, I I really had no choice but to be intellectually honest and stand for life. And so I went to work for Concerned Women for America in my 20s as a lobbyist. I left at certain points to uh, go home and I got married and started having a family. And then I, I served on their board. And so I came back in 2010 to serve as the president and CEO of Concerned Women for America. But really, also, my issue, my, my uh, belief on the president uh, grew because I didn't know who he was in 2016. You know, I wasn't an early primary supporter for the president in, in, when he ran in 2016. I didn't know who he was. He was this, um, you know, billionaire from New York. And, you know, we, he wasn't necessarily our ilk. And I was so pleasantly surprised when he became president, as many people were. Yeah. And I even went on TV and said I made a mistake. I should have supported him earlier. But he did a great job. And I will. he did the things that he promised. And believe me, I've been around long enough that I've heard it all from politicians. And I was kind of trained to believe they would fall through on about half of what they promised. This president says what he means, means what he says, and follows through. And so for that, I support him fullheartedly. It is amazing, right? It is amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Folks out there were a little bit, who is this guy? But it's been spectacular right. ever since. Penny Young Nance, please go to ConcernedWomen.org for more information. We'll see you soon. And thank you. We'll be right yeah. back. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. 
How about the Secretary of Defense, huh? Uh, not showing up for work, uh, some surgery he had. I knew he was a kind of a crazy stickler for his health when he made that overseas trip. Uh, <laughs> I mean, remember this? I know it was during COVID, but it was ludicrous, and it reminded me of Darth Vader, right? Darth Vader? I call this guy <laughs> very much so. Lloyd Vader, not Lloyd Austin, Lloyd Vader, we're gonna call him. This is no way to run a Defense Department. His absence and nobody really noticing suggests to me that he's not running the Defense Department, neither is his deputy, but unnamed bureaucrats, uh, senior civil service types, SESers, they call them. They're probably in charge. And also, Lloyd uh, Vader, I just, I don't know. I think he's often sending the wrong message. This and this. There's not a day in my life, David, when I didn't wake up and think about the fact that I was a black man. I would go someplace with my staff and we were wearing civilian clothes. Somebody would come out to meet the, meet the general and I wasn't the guy that they walked up to. Racism, right? Gosh, if the country were so racist as he and so many others uh, say it is, why would anybody join the military to defend her, America, right? Anyway, it's not systemically racist. He still has a job, though, and he's going to keep his job, even though he didn't get a doctor's note. I mean, he was kind of a key figure in our loss in Afghanistan, and he kept his job after that. And so did everybody else who helped us lose Afghanistan. So... Uh, going away for a couple of days and not telling anybody is probably not going to get you fired either. All right, I'll be right back. All right, uh, where do my girls go this time? It looks like they went to the Disco Ball Museum. <laughs> That's Annalise on the right. She's three. Madeline on the left is two. Pretty big size differential there. Well, a year, that's, that's a lot in baby time. Here they are playing with a great big giant gummy bear, it looks like. Man, oh man, oh man, must be fun to be a kid, right? All day long, little adventures like this. But uh, they got the rest of their lives too. Oh, I don't want to think about the rest of their lives. I'm just enjoying it so much now. All right, I'll be home soon, ladies. Say hi to mom and thank you for watching. See you tomorrow. Thank you.